Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. David Hufford was exhausted. During the winter of 1964, David was a young college student in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and he was having a tough month. He was just getting over a bout of mononucleosis. On top of that, he had finals coming up and he was feeling under pressure. One December night, he stumbled his way back to the room he was renting off campus and immediately climbed into bed and fell into a deep sleep. But about an hour later, he was startled awake by a disturbing noise. It was the sound of his bedroom door creaking open. Only this should have been impossible because David was certain he had bolted and locked it before going to bed. David tried to sit up, only that's when he came to another horrifying realization. He couldn't move a muscle. For some reason, even though he was certain he was awake, David's entire body was paralyzed. And what was worse... He could now hear the sound of shuffling footsteps drawing closer to him. David's heart beat furiously in his chest. He tried to cry out for help, only his mouth didn't work either. He was terrified and on the verge of tears as he suddenly felt a heavy weight pressed down on the mattress by his feet. He still couldn't move his head to see who or what it was. But he had an absolute certain feeling in his gut that, whatever it was, it was pure evil. And it meant to do him harm. Suddenly, the thing leaped on top of David's chest. He felt the heavy weight of it crush down on top of him. It was difficult to breathe. His chest was heaving for air. He felt as if he might have a heart attack right then and there. Then he felt a pair of dry, gnarled fingers wrapped tightly around his throat. David tried to scream, but no words came out. He was absolutely certain at that moment he was going to die. Then, for no discernible reason... All of David's muscles just let loose, and suddenly he was able to sit upright again. David jumped out of bed and switched on a light. He looked all around the room, but there was no one there with him. His door was still locked just the way he'd left it. There was no sign anyone else had ever been there. Nonetheless, David didn't feel safe by himself anymore. So he got out of bed and dashed as fast as he could for the student union, where he spent the rest of the night. He didn't tell anyone what he just encountered for fear of ridicule. At this point, you're probably thinking David had just had a bad dream. In fact, David was afraid if he told anyone, that's exactly what other people would say. But he remained adamant that he had been awake through the entire encounter. It had all been too real, and nothing like any dream he'd had before. He just couldn't explain where the thing in his room had gone, or why he had been unable to move. David became determined to find some answers. He searched the university library for any information they had about what he had just gone through, but there wasn't much there. And what he did find just left him with more questions. It turned out that his experience wasn't unique, and that a lot of people over the centuries had reported experiences that sounded an awful lot like what he'd just encountered. 
Nowadays, we would refer to this as sleep paralysis, but in the 1960s, with no internet and fewer places to turn for answers, this remained a mystery for David for years to come. At first, David thought he might end up spending just a few days or perhaps even a few weeks researching this topic. But his research would go on for years and would eventually lead to him compiling everything he learned into a book called The Terror That Comes at Night. In 1971, David was an anthropology professor at a college in Newfoundland, the most easterly province in Canada. When he began hearing some eerily familiar stories, People began telling him how they too had woken up in the middle of the night only to realize their bodies were completely paralyzed and that there was some sort of malevolent presence with them in the room. This presence liked to climb up on top of them and made them feel as if they were trying to crush the life out of them. It wasn't just a few people either. It seems like everyone David met either had personal experience with or knew someone who had encountered the same terrifying entity. These stories were common enough that the locals even had a name to go with the creature. They called her the Night Hag. I'm Nate Hale, and if you're listening to this late at night, pleasant screams. And this is The Conspirators. If you go back far enough in history, you'll find out that the term nightmare actually used to refer specifically to sleep paralysis, and that it actually got watered down over time to include people who simply had bad dreams. Today, some estimates range anywhere from 1.7% to 40% of people experience some form of sleep paralysis during their lives. Although the magic number you'll often come across in a lot of articles on the subject is 8% of the population. Oftentimes, in cases of sleep paralysis, the victim wakes up feeling as if their body is completely paralyzed. This is often accompanied by strange smells, the sound of approaching footsteps, and the sense that there is some sort of apparition in the room with you. There's also the overwhelming belief that all this is really happening, and that the person suffering the experience is completely unable to do anything about it. Now, sure, the obvious answer is people are dreaming. But if you ask anyone suffering from sleep paralysis, they'll insist to you that they are wide awake, and the phenomenon is very real. They can describe in detail exactly what is going on in their surroundings while they're lying there paralyzed. Way more detail than you typically recall during a dream. They also don't experience the sort of lucid logic or time jumps that occur in dreams. No, they can tell you what happens during every terrifying second of their sleep paralysis as the thing in their room draws closer. The belief that there is some sort of evil entity that attacks people in their dreams is something that's been around for a long time and pops up again and again in separate cultures all around the world. In fact, the mare part of the word nightmare is actually derived from a number of similar-sounding Old English terms which all tend to refer to some sort of demonic creature that stalks people while they sleep. In Germany, they refer to the Mar, or Nachtmar, literally translated to Nightmare. In Denmark, they call this creature the Mera. And in France and England, it's simply the Mare. 
In some places, these nighttime visits were known as mare rides because of the way the creature was thought to sit on top of the sleeping individual's chest. An old Anglo-Saxon and Norse variation of this term is the Mara. These Mara were sometimes thought to be sent by evil sorcerers or witches to give the intended victim bad dreams. One legend tells of a Norwegian king who died after his wife grew tired of waiting for him to come home after he was away conquering lands for ten years. So she commissioned a sorcerer to send Amara to torment him. The evil spirit began its nocturnal assault by crushing the king's legs while his men tried to protect his head. But after the king's legs were crushed, his men let down their guard long enough that the Mara climbed on top of his skull and killed him. Folklorist D.L. Ashleman spent years collecting such Mara stories across Europe, including ways to avoid them. According to some legends, Ashleman wrote, people who were afraid of being assaulted by mares or Mara could do things like leave their shoes by the side of their bed and turn the laces toward the place where they planned on lying down. These creatures were known to be able to sneak in through even the tiniest openings, so blocking fireplaces and even keyholes could help potentially keep them out. One alternate story about mares was that you could actually enlist the aid of a friend to stay awake and wait for them to arrive in order to trap them. Since some mares were thought to take the form of beautiful women, this was considered one way for a man to take a wife. Although it was up to the husband from then on to keep his wife from asking too many questions about her origins, or else she might leave as soon as she realized she was a mare. The idea that mares are often female dates back to ancient Babylonian mythology. Some stories tell of female demons known as succubi, which purportedly want to steal a man's semen. The opposite of succubi are the male incubi, which want to impregnate innocent women. Another root of the mare legend is that of Lilith, who is depicted in biblical history as either a demonic figure or the first wife of Adam. Ancient Babylonian mythology describes Lilith as part of a class of demons who stalk you while you sleep, known as Lilitu. Many of these stories of the Lilitu depict them as beautiful and irresistible creatures preying on defenseless men. Although some legends also claim the Lilitu like to prey on pregnant women and babies as well. Over time, and as Renaissance artists began to illustrate these encounters, you'll start to see paintings of these creatures depicting them as less and less human. Sometimes they're shown as horned beasts, or heavy-set demonic trolls kneeling on top of a sleeper's chest. One particularly curious thing, though, about the legends of these creatures that attack people while they sleep is just how widespread these stories are around the world. And yet, despite being thousands of miles and sometimes oceans apart, it's striking how similar the details can be across cultures with little or no contact with one another. Some of the earliest records of sleep paralysis come to us from the ancient Chinese as far back as 400 BCE. Many Chinese folk stories speak of the Guya Shen, which literally translates into ghost pressing on the body, or ghost pressing on the bed. In Mongolia, they have their own term, kar darak, which translates to the extra creepy sounding, pressed by the black. In Japan, they use the term kanashibari, which translates to bound or fastened in metal. This is a term rooted in Buddhism, way back when it was believed Buddhist mystics could use magic to paralyze people. In some Arab cultures, they refer to the jathum, a kind of jinn, which translates to that which sits heavily on something. 
In Turkey, the term they use is karabasan, which means ominous presser. In South Africa, they fear a goblin-like creature called the tokolosh. Many legends vary on the exact details of what this creature looks like and does exactly. But a lot of the stories agree that this creature comes at night in order to give the sleeper bad dreams or even sexually assault them. In order to avoid the diminutive creatures, some people are known to elevate their beds on bricks in order to make it more difficult to climb. This isn't just a folksy superstition, either. Fear of this creature has had some very real and deadly consequences. In 1933, a man was convicted of murdering his nine-year-old nephew, whom he had believed been transformed into a tokolosh by a witch. Tokoloshes are often blamed for every sort of bad luck or misfortune a person might have, and have even been used to excuse criminal behavior. During the early 1990s, a few mothers from one South African village brought their children to the local clinic for treatment. It was discovered that someone had been shoving metal needles into the children's skin. The mothers all claimed this to be the work of the Tokolosh, although it was later proven to be the work of some superstitious caregivers. It's also known that some victims of sexual assault have chosen to report their attackers as a Tokolosh, rather than cause further scandal to their village by accusing a human criminal. And yet, wherever you go, although many descriptions of these nighttime demons vary, one of the most common descriptions you'll hear in a lot of cultures is that of a hideous old woman who crouches down upon a man's chest while he sleeps. Shakespeare included a description of such an old hag in Romeo and Juliet. And during the Salem witch trials, several people reported nighttime attacks by a number of the accused witches. Not long after David Hufford became a professor in Newfoundland, he began hearing tales from the locals about an old hag that terrorized people while they slept. What was most disturbing to David, though, wasn't just the stories themselves, but how familiar everything these people described was. So many of these stories, he was told, sounded practically identical to what he encountered that December night a few years earlier. David recruited some of his students to go out and collect these night hag stories from the locals. Most of them came back with eerily similar tales of people describing waking up in the middle of the night feeling completely paralyzed. The victims all felt an overwhelming sense of extreme fear, and they were all certain that there was some sort of evil presence in the room with them. They often described hearing the sound of shuffling footsteps coming closer, and a sort of sweaty, musty smell in the air. Several of the witnesses mentioned catching glimpses of the night hag out of the corner of their eye, while a few even claimed to have gotten a close look at it. One person described the night hag as looking like a creepy old woman wearing a hat. Another said the shadowy creature they saw looked like it was wearing some sort of terrifying mask. In all these stories, though, one thing everyone agreed on is that they were absolutely positive they were awake through the entire encounter. Then in 1973, David Hufford did a radio interview in which he spoke about his research about the night hag, and that's when the floodgates really opened. David was bombarded with letters from all over Canada of people writing to tell him about their own terrifying stories of waking up paralyzed and encountering a shadowy presence in the night. What was especially weird to David was that many of these people never heard of the night hag legend before, and yet they were still reporting the exact same things over and over again. Some people claimed to have been having these experiences for years. David looked into many of these claims and couldn't find any history of mental illness among the cases he studied. 
By the 1980s, David's research was getting noticed by a number of scientists and sleep researchers who were trying to get a better understanding of exactly what happens when a person sleeps. In truth, many scientists today don't even fully agree on why we dream. Some say it's the brain's way of giving us some rest from daily functions. Others say it's a sort of clearinghouse state that resets our brains to function for the next day. Still others say that dreams don't have any real function at all. They're just jumbles of random thoughts. Some sleep researchers who became interested in David's own research were also looking into the phenomena that would come to be known as sleep paralysis. One thing most researchers agree on about sleep paralysis is that as terrifying as it is for most people, it remains relatively harmless. At least that's what was widely believed until the day reports began coming in of large numbers of healthy young men dying in their sleep. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Throughout the mountainous regions of northern Laos live the Hmong people. They're a distinct ethnic group that have lived in that area for thousands of years. Because of their relative isolation from the rest of the country, they developed their own culture, oral literature, and religion that was far removed from the rest of Vietnam to the south. Historically, they were mostly farmers who worked the lands in the highlands, with opium being their primary cash crop. They were also a deeply religious people who believed in animism, the belief that all things in nature have a soul. During the late 1960s, when the Vietnam War spread north, the Hmong sided with the United States to fight the communists, who they saw as a threat to their way of life. During the war, the Hmong died at a rate ten times higher than American soldiers. By the time the war came to an end, many Hmong villages were bombed out or burned to the ground by the North Vietnamese. By 1975, over half the Hmong population fled Laos and became refugees. Many of them were evacuated or escaped to camps in Thailand. And approximately 90% of those would ultimately be resettled in the United States, with the remainder getting sent to Canada, France, the Netherlands, and Australia. But during the late 1970s and early 1980s, the Center for Disease Control began receiving some rather strange reports of a number of otherwise healthy Hmong refugees dying under mysterious circumstances. Alarming headlines such as Mysterious Fatal Malady Striking Hmong Men and Night Deaths of Asian Men Unexplained ran in the LA Times throughout the 70s and 80s. There was seemingly no explanation for this mysterious wave of deaths. They mostly occurred among healthy young men ranging in age between their teens to their mid-40s. The median age was 33. Other than their ages and their ethnic origins, though, none of these victims seemed to have much in common. They were all young and healthy, most of them didn't know each other, and the deaths were spread far and wide throughout the Hmong refugee locations across America and elsewhere around the world. The only other thing these men seemingly had in common was that they all died in their sleep. One 1981 article described a 47-year-old man named Yong Leng Tao, who died in his sleep while lying next to his wife. 
His wife claimed her husband was crying uncontrollably, right up until the moment his heart gave out. Investigators looked long and hard at possible explanations. One idea that was floated was that they'd all been exposed to the chemical defoliant Agent Orange during the war, or possibly some sort of nerve gas. But most doctors quickly dismissed this theory, stating that nerve gas doesn't act that way, and certainly doesn't wait to kill someone in their sleep years after exposure. The deaths mostly petered out by the mid-1980s, but doctors remained at a loss to explain what happened before then. Scientists did end up giving it a name, Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome, or SUNS. But naming the problem still didn't help explain what was happening. One researcher who looked into these mysterious deaths was a grad student at the University of California, Los Angeles, named Shelley Adler. She was a medical anthropologist, and she went into the Hmong community trying to get some answers. At first, she was met with a great deal of resistance from the Hmong who didn't want to talk to her. Eventually, Shelley began to gain their trust, though. She interviewed hundreds of people from the Hmong community to see if there was any common factor that might explain why so many other healthy young men were dying. Shelley was surprised when a lot of the people she interviewed told her they knew exactly what was killing them, and science had nothing to do with it. Many of the people Shelley interviewed told her the deaths were the work of something called the Dob Shog, or Night Spirit. This was a common legend in the Hmong community of an evil spirit who haunted people in their dreams, causing extreme fear and paralysis. Many of the Hmong refugees came to believe that they had been protected from this evil spirit back in their ancestral homeland. But after being uprooted and moved to the west, all those protections were now gone. Some of the refugees Shelley interviewed were so fearful of this evil spirit that they took to setting alarms that would go off every half hour in order to prevent them from falling into a deep sleep. Although David Hufford estimated that around 15% of the people he interviewed had encountered the evil creature he had come to known as the Night Hag, Shelley Adler found that just under 60% of the Hmong refugees claimed to have been attacked by the Dob Shog. It's interesting to note that even though some of the women Shelley interviewed claimed to have been attacked by the Dob Shog, it only killed the men. The CDC would eventually go on to report that 117 Hmong men died in their sleep. No conclusive explanation was ever given as to the cause of these deaths. Scientists would determine that a disproportionately large number of the Hmong were affected by a genetic condition known as Brugada syndrome, which can affect heart rhythms. But if that's the underlying cause for all the deaths, that still doesn't explain why they only seem to happen within a few years or why they stopped. If the disease was the reason these deaths occurred, then you'd think they'd still be happening today. The best explanation that Shelley Adler could give why this was occurring, and why it only affected the men, was that the answer was tied directly to their religion and culture. According to the Hmong religion, individuals were expected to maintain a balance with the spirits by performing rituals and providing them with offerings. Failure to do so would result in bringing misfortune into your life. These rituals were supposed to be the duty of the man of the house, so according to the Hmong, it made sense that the night spirit would target the men specifically. Shelley speculated that the loss of their homeland and the jarring effect of having to acclimate to Western culture would have been a terribly stressful situation on the men in the Hmong families, and that this, coupled with their own superstitious fear, is what really led to all the premature deaths. 
But stories of the Dobshog and the Night Hag aren't the only terrifying entities that have been sent to haunt people while they sleep. In more recent years, other stories began to emerge of a different malevolent entity. Back in 1994, Tim Brown was a 14-year-old kid living in Nashville, Tennessee. He'd been staying up really late one night and found himself nodding off as he watched TV. All the lights were off in the room and only the TV set in front of him provided any illumination. From where he was lying, he could look straight past his feet into the hallway at his grandmother's room across the hall. At around 2 a.m., he said he heard a noise from the TV that startled him enough to open his eyes. That's when he looked across the hall and saw a tall humanoid figure standing there. Only there were no features that he could make out. It was just a tall black shape with no eyes, mouth, or nose. All Tim could say for certain was that it appeared as if the creature was wearing a wide-rimmed hat and a trench coat. The creature just sort of lingered there in the hallway while Tim lay there terrified watching it. It was hovering in the area between his grandmother and great-grandmother's bedrooms. Then it appeared to realize Tim was watching it because it turned to look at him. Then it retreated away out of sight. Tim bolted out of bed certain the intruder meant to harm his grandmother and great-grandmother. He ran out into the hallway shouting for help. But when everyone got up to see what Tim was yelling about, the shadowy figure, gone. Tim told his grandmother and great-grandmother about what he'd seen, and their response chilled him to the bone. They both claimed to have already witnessed the same shadowy entity on separate occasions. None of them could explain what it was or where it had gone either. Tim tried to put the incident out of his mind, that is, until one day in 2001 when he was listening to an episode of the radio show Coast to Coast AM, during which the host, George Norrie, and his guest began discussing a terrifyingly familiar topic. The guest described his encounter late one night with a large shadow being that looked like a man wearing a wide-brimmed hat. At that moment, Tim realized he wasn't alone in his experience. He started a blog dedicated to collecting stories of these shadow men. And like David Hufford with his stories of the old hag, people send hundreds of similar stories to Tim about their late-night encounters with shadow beings, and in particular, the man with the hat. Most of these agreed that whatever this being was, it was evil, and it was terrifying. Some people claim the man in the hat wasn't alone either, and it would sometimes be flanked by other shadow beings. Some scientists have come up with a theory that explains all these stories of sleep paralysis. According to common scientific belief, there's really nothing unusual about the feeling of being unable to move while sleeping. In fact, this is actually a normal function of sleep. You see, when you sleep, your body has a natural mechanism that shuts off motor function, which is actually a good thing, or else you might end up dreaming you're running a marathon, then find yourself running straight off a cliff. If you've ever seen a dog twitching in its sleep while dreaming of chasing squirrels, then you've witnessed this effect firsthand. According to sleep researchers, it's possible for this paralysis to get confused and keep your body immobilized, even when your brain is technically awake. As for the other sensations of being attacked by an inhuman presence, scientists say those are dreams lingering in your brain even as your body comes awake. You see, your brain and body can get confused and can get stuck in this sort of hypnagogic state that's not fully awake and not fully asleep. So you think you're completely awake and aware of your surroundings, and yet you're still experiencing some of what you would expect while having a bad dream. 
Scientists even have an explanation why so many people seem to dream the same things over and over. According to some scientists, the answer is that humans do have a lot of shared experiences. And in particular, we've all seen the same movies and are all well aware of the same pop culture references. This is what some scientists believe may explain another sort of terrifying nighttime encounter that's been reported by a large number of people. Alien abductions. According to some skeptics, there are a lot of telling details in most reported alien abductions that point to sleep paralysis being the true culprit, not aliens. Descriptions of the so-called gray aliens often describe them as slender beings with almost no discernible features other than their giant black eyes. Some skeptics believe this lack of detail is actually a telling sign because the sleeping person's brain isn't filling in all the details of what the creature should look like. People who claim to have been abducted by aliens often describe the sensation of waking up in their beds with these creatures surrounding them, while their bodies remain completely paralyzed. Pop culture also feeds into this narrative, so say the skeptics, since by now we've all been inundated with movies and TV shows featuring gray aliens abducting people. By now, that's what our brains have come to expect when we have dreams that turn into sleep paralysis. If you go back a few centuries, fear of demons and witches was so prevalent that that's what everyone came to think of when they had bad dreams. Nowadays, it's shadow people and aliens. So if pop culture really is to blame for a lot of these nightmarish creatures people believe visit them while they sleep, it's also interesting to consider how these very same bad dreams can, in turn, influence pop culture. Back in the early 1980s, a young Hollywood film director read a newspaper article about the number of young men in the Hmong community who died in their sleep. He began to speculate what sort of terrifying creature might be able to cause such deaths. He eventually went on to write a script featuring a different sort of movie monster, went on to become his own pop culture phenomena. This creature was a deceased serial killer whose spirit haunted people's dreams. He was known for wearing a hat, and he liked to murder teenagers while they slept with a custom glove hipped with razor-sharp knives. That filmmaker was director Wes Craven, and the monster was none other than Freddy Krueger from the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street. The Conspiratist is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. Just a reminder, I have a Patreon account where you can sign up and get access to an ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes. They're just like my full-length episodes, only fun size. Patrons of the show get a number of other nifty bonuses too, including stickers, magnets, and t-shirts. If you're interested in becoming a patron to the show, I'll put a link in the show notes. We also have a merch store where you can get all sorts of cool conspirator shirts, mugs, phone cases, and a lot more. One other easy way you can help us out is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Each one of your five-star ratings helps boost us in Apple's charts and spreads the good word to more people. If you're not an Apple, not to worry, we're available in most of the places you get your podcast, including Stitcher and Spotify. You can also listen to our entire back catalog of shows on our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. Elsewhere, look us up and follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page. You can even send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing. Thanks again for listening. And if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release, Happy Halloween!